Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join your hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen. Thanks for joining us today. We absolutely appreciate the download. Phil, what's on our show today, man? Well, you know, today we got a great interview, but before we get to that interview, you know, a lot of people kind of ask me, you know, what, what are you doing outside the podcast? What are, what are you, uh, what kind of work are you doing with Providence? What kind of work are you doing, uh, just around the world that you, that you talk about? Um, and I know that Karen, you too are doing some great things in different parts of the world. And so I know next month you're going to be heading out to Ethiopia and I just thought it'd be, it might be good to get a glimpse into some of the stuff that you're doing outside of your, you know, everyday practice, but that you're really getting involved in these issues that we're talking about on this show in real ways on the ground. So can you just share a little bit about what you're doing there? Yeah, um, I'm headed to East Africa in a couple of weeks. I'll be headed to Ethiopia this time. A lot of my work that I've done in the past has been um, on site in East Africa where my family used to live. Um, And so this most recent trip that's coming up, I'm going to be partnering with an organization, um, a ministry, and really providing trauma-informed training and and helping staff members and and helping the people um, who are a part of this ministry uh, receive some trauma-informed training, receive some... Um, information on how to better take care of the children and the teenagers that are a part of their ministry and a part of their organization and and really um, pressing into that those families that this ministry is serving and in that context also a lot of my work when I get to travel and actually um, provide on-site training and consultation a lot of my work is focused on actually helping staff members or literally helping people who are face-to-face working with children, teenagers, and families, helping them to understand the importance of um, intentional self-care and how important it is to press into the way that they're taking care of themselves from a holistic perspective. I don't mean that they're running a marathon, you know, quarterly, Mm -hmm. but I mean, what does your faith journey look like? How's your relationship with your immediate family? How's your relationship with um, your brothers and sisters in Christ? How are you intentionally taking care of yourself so that um, in the work that you're doing, you can better take care of the children or the families or the teenagers that you're serving. And so it sounds a little bit like a hodgepodge of stuff, but really what it looks like is intentional, healthy relationships. And when we're mm. um, intentional with the way that we interact with our relationship with Christ, and when we interact with our relationship with our immediate family members, oftentimes it's that overflow that we see in our work that we're doing, whether that's here in America or in another country or even in our own home. And so just really pressing into that connection-based parenting strategies, but also connection-based even interactions with children and teens in any type of setting, whether that's an orphan care community or an orphanage or a family home type of situation. Um, So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, Phil, but yeah, absolutely. No, I just yeah, I just think it's important for for our audience to know that we're not just sitting in a you know studio somewhere talking to people, but we actually are getting out and and doing different things to be able to understand these issues, so that when we interview people, so that when we talk about it here, it actually we have you know a basis for what we're talking about as well, and we're continually learning, we're continually going out and and really trying to put this stuff into practice as well, and with the people that we're able to connect with around the world, we can use 
what we're able to get through this podcast, the different interviews that we have to be able to share with people. We encourage everyone out there to do the same. When you're going to different places around the world, when you're engaging people in different places, that you can use these episodes as conversation starters, as as training materials, really, for people to understand a good starting place to understand some of these issues, and then you can go deeper with the different guests. And so, you know, that's what we're hoping to do um, through this show. That's what I'm, and I'm wanting to do, actually, you know, with you, Karen, to be able to to be able to know, you know, that you are doing this stuff and, and actually engaging it, uh, daily. Um, and so, you know, next month I'm also heading off to, to, uh, Ecuador and India for a couple different meetings with, uh, the one in Ecuador is with pastors from all over the world. And we're able to, I'm going with some folks with world without orphans and we're going to be able to engage these pastors on these issues and to be able to share with them about, you know, best practices in orphan care, to share with them about the interconnectedness with poverty alleviation and family preservation and discipleship and trafficking and all these different issues. You know, the, all the stuff we're talking about here on the show, we're going to hopefully be able to really help these pastors from all over the world understand that. Then I'm also heading off to, like I said, India to meet with a global facilitation meeting with uh, some, some leaders there. Um, and so very excited um, to be able to, uh, to be able to engage these issues at deep, deep levels with people from all over the world. So, um, folks out there, you know, just know that we're engaging this with you. We're trying to understand this stuff with you and we're trying to really work through these issues to, to help understand how we can love these kids better. And, and we encourage you to engage that with us at, at all these different levels, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's through the emails, whether it's through, um, you know, just commenting on, on these different episodes on our, on our website, encourage you to do that. Engage with us. Also rate and review this show it would be, be a huge help for us too. So that brings us to what we have, uh, today, you know, and, um, we're going to go to an interview here in a couple minutes with a good friend of mine, uh, Sosima Samuel Burnett. She's the founder and president of Global Justice. I was able to uh, teach at William Jessup University with her. She was the chair of the public policy department there before heading off to Colorado to start Global Justice. And she's done so many more things. You'll see her bio um, or you hear a little bit of her bio on the interview. And it would take us all episode to go through that bio. So I'm not going to do that. You're going to be learning a lot from her on, on just so many different issues as far as collaboration and just what she's been learning over the decades of justice work that she's been doing. After the interviews, definitely stick around because we have a little teaser of um, some uh, a road trip, a special road trip that uh, Karen Springs uh, is, is doing right now. And you don't want to miss this little teaser. You definitely aren't going to want to miss what she has to share. And uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say any more than that. Just stick around and listen to what she's going to have to share about what she's doing right now. And I know you're going to want to learn more about it. So you're going to hear from Sosama Samuel Burnett. Well, Sosama, it is so great to have you here on the show today. Thanks so much, Phil. Great to be with you. Well, Sosama, you and I have had an opportunity to uh, get to know each other over the last few years. We um, taught together at William Jessup University. Uh, and we just have become friends through that and through some other uh, things. But I know that most of our audience doesn't know who you are. You know, they, they don't know the work that you're doing. They don't know, you know, if, we, if I took the time to introduce you on your resume, uh, it would probably take the entire show. So, you know, without going into the specific details of everything that you're doing, I'd, I'd love for you to just introduce yourself to, to our audience and, and let them know how you got to be where you are today. 
Oh, absolutely. Thank you for that. So, so Smith, I'm Burnett. I serve as the founder and president of Global Justice, which is an organization that we'll probably talk a little bit about in a moment. But my story really starts with uh, my family. My uh, father and mother were born and raised in India, and I was born there as well. And when my father was a young child, he wanted to come to the United States. And as an adult, he had that opportunity through educational opportunities. And once he finished his master's programs, he brought my mom and my brother and I here. And then his first job was in Canada. So I went from India to Canada and had several years there. Uh, and then from there to uh, his dream place, which was America. And it is here in America that our family was able to uh, kind of live out the immigrant story. You know, we started with very little and my father built his way up and accomplished much. Uh, our family was very blessed in the sense that we had great friends and great community, great education. Um, I did my undergraduate work at um, uh, Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., uh, focusing on international politics, uh, law and relations, etc., and then later on, had some wonderful job opportunities and went on to law school. And my law school emphasis was in um, international human rights law. And I studied that in um, at the University of Minnesota under a tremendous mentor, which was David Weisbrot, who went on to work for the United Nations Subcommission for Human Rights. And I had some opportunities there then. And then thereafter, went on to direct a number of human rights organizations and um, just really was passionate about advocacy. Ultimately, met my husband. Um, that took us on a whirlwind across the country. We landed in California. That's where you and I met. And I ended up in education. And I served as chair of the public policy program where I was really dedicated to raising up the next generation of leaders. And then seven years later, we landed here in Colorado. And uh, here in Colorado, I was trying to really pray to God about what the next steps were for my life and my work. And uh, he gave me a tremendous idea, which was to fuse these wonderful experiences, the international, the education, the advocacy, into this thing that we now call global justice. Yeah, and I and there is so much more to that story. I wish we had time to to really dive into it, and I, I hope that you out there um, listening have an opportunity to meet so someone and really dive deeper into her story because it is it is super encouraging in so many ways to see how God has weaved her. Um, through these different paths in life, some expected, some unexpected, to get her where she is today. So um, it is definitely a life well lived, and, and it's something that, that is impacting so many. And, and one of those things, like you said, is, is global justice. And, you know, global stands for something. It's not yes. just, just talking about the world, which it is, um, but it really has a double meaning. And, and so can you just share what the letters of global mean? Absolutely. So global is an acronym, as you mentioned. And so it start, it stands for geopolitical learning opportunities for biblical advocacy and leadership. Now, that's a lot, but it condensed down. What it really means is that we want the community to be informed and inspired to do justice work by being knowledgeable about the issues that are going on around our world. And when we say around our world, we're not just talking about something over there. We're also talking about things that are happening right in their own communities. Yeah, and I have to remind people that a lot too, you know, that, that global means America as well, right? It's not just, it's not just somewhere else. Um, it's our own backyard as well. And, and so what is, what is global justice actually doing? What, what are you doing every day to, um, to really uh, live out the, the mission and vision that you guys have? 
well, you know, it's interesting. In many ways, we call ourselves a, a hybrid organization. We're part education, part advocacy. But the easiest way to describe our work is we are a platform. We create opportunities and um, and spaces and places for people to dialogue, for people to learn about justice, not just the issues of justice, but what justice itself is. And we really refer to the concept of biblical justice. So what we try to do is ground our information and education in biblical principles, because we believe that biblical principles are what will allow us to achieve justice ends. And so a lot of our work is spent with educational institutions, helping prepare them um, in many ways, uh, developing classes, developing programs, really helping equip this next generation of advocates. And we also come alongside advocacy organizations, you know, groups that are already doing great work, and we want to get their work out to a broader community. So we promote their efforts and try to uh, support them in many different uh, fronts and ways. Yeah, I know you've been able to promote uh, the work that, that we're doing through Providence and Think Orphan, and, and I appreciate that. I know those listening out there who are, are with organizations, I, I strongly encourage you to contact and connect with uh, SOSMA after this uh, after this podcast, after listening to this, and, and really see how you guys can work together. Um, but we, before we get into kind of that the collaboration that you guys are doing and how you're doing that, uh, I, I want to just not over, you know, overlook the fact that the first word or the first word that global stands for geopolitical mm-hmm. really is, is, it's a big word, but big, big implications. And I, and I know that, you know, if, if you, if you listeners out there, anything like me, you're, you're kind of going, what in the world does that mean? Um, and so can you go into geopolitical a little bit more and, and kind of specifically talk a little bit about how it directly li- relates to orphaned and at-risk children around the world? Oh, certainly. Well, first of all, when people think of politics or anything political, we have a tendency to think in sort of partisan terms. And that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about geopolitics. Geopolitics is really more of a fusion of various concepts. You know, there's government and economics and and sort of the political landscape, but it also includes things like geography and demography. So in other words, you know, where someone lives and what their context is has a tremendous impact, not only on what their political perspective is, but what their political status is. And so what we want to do is get sort of down deeper. We want people to understand that politics isn't just about parties or or your ideas or views. It's also about how people are represented in a community. So if you're living in a disadvantaged community, or if you're living somewhere that is uh, ravaged by poverty or famine or any other of those concerns, that's going to have a completely different impact on the political status of that individual than if you're living in a more affluent community. And so that's something that we need to be aware of. So by extension, when we're talking about orphans and we're talking about the status of children in general, children don't have the luxury of making decisions on where they are born and where they live. Those decisions happen through other people. So we have to particularly be sensitive to uh, the context that children live in because they can't always and usually rarely are able to remove themselves from difficult circumstances. So that geopolitical condition that they live under is something that we have to be aware of when we're you know, seeking justice for them. Hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's good stuff. Yeah. And so with that, you know, your mission, I, I referenced the mission earlier, but the mission of global justice is to extend geopolitical learning opportunities for biblical advocacy and leadership for students and professionals to pursue justice ethically, creatively, and collaboratively. And you alluded to the collaborative part of that earlier and the, and the importance of collaboration in the work you're doing, but also in the work that we're all doing. And can you, I don't want to assume that people 
listening understand the importance of collaboration and why it's important. So can you just speak to that, why it's so important for us to collaborate in doing the work of justice in the world and how we can do it effectively? Absolutely. Well, let's start with just an understanding that justice is complex and complicated. Um, there is no one organization or individual or you know location for that matter that can address justice fully. And so we have to recognize right from the front that we have to have all hands on deck to be addressing justice issues. So that means that people from different sectors and different generations have something to lend to this purpose and this cause. Secondly, we have to also understand that collaboration doesn't come naturally. So we have to take initiatives to create collaborative opportunities. So in other words, you might be doing wonderful work with your organization. Another organization may be doing wonderful work, but it takes more than that for the two of you to work together. And so we want to make sure that people understand these are active steps of engagement. And then lastly, I'll just add also that with collaboration, a lot of other good things happen. We get a deeper understanding. We get a deeper view. And to a large extent, I believe that pursuing justice isn't just an end run, it's also a journey. So when we have a chance to work together, we are experiencing things that we wouldn't otherwise experience. And um, I guess I should also add that, you know, we have to realize that these issues that we face are not getting any less difficult. They're actually getting more difficult. And so when you think about the range of great organizations and educational institutions, et cetera, that are out there working, we have to ask ourselves, well, if they're doing this great work, how come these issues are not improving? And I think the response is because they have to work together to get to that improvement. Mm, yeah. Now I, I know I talked to a lot of people about it and, and you kind of alluded to it there that when you're doing this work together, it's not only often uh, more fun and, and it actually brings in people together to work as a team, but but you have a lot of synergies that are created that wouldn't happen otherwise. And I, I firmly believe as you do that if we're not working together, most of this most of this stuff that we're working to to help solve and help alleviate, you know, probably won't get solved or alleviated. Because um, I think a lot of times our work is actually competing against each other and really destroying some of the good work that could be happening. Um, and I know you agree with me on that as we've talked about in the past. But can you give an example of how you and Global are effectively collaborating? You know, maybe one thing, one project that you're working on. I know there's several. And, and, and with that also, if you could point people to how they can find out more about what Global Justice is doing and some more of the actual initiatives that you're doing, um, uh, whether it's online or otherwise. Sure. You know, a lot of what we do is collaborative, as you know. So one example of that is we work with um, a particular uh, university, Northwest Christian University in Oregon. So we're here in, in Colorado, but with the great technical advances that we have, we're able to do an online course with them. And in that online course, we are able to provide students with education on global justice and the principles behind it. And we're currently doing a course on global advocacy and leadership. And so with that kind of collaboration, we we bring our expertise and we connect it with their expertise and technologies, and we're able to extend it to those students there in Oregon. Now, if we didn't do that collaboration and we didn't take advantage of these technological and other opportunities, then those students would never have contact with us here in Colorado. And we know that that particular region is ripe for students that want to go into the mission field and who want to go into the advocacy field. And so we want to be available to them to provide our information and resources. Yeah, and and I know that that's a great opportunity for folks. And and, and again, what, what's the website that that you your website that people can go to that can, they can learn more about that and all the other stuff that you're doing? 
certainly. Um, anyone can visit us at www.globaljusticeonline, all one word, .org. And you can also email us at any point if you have information requests at info at globaljusticeonline.org. And we encourage you to also visit our social media platforms. So you can find us on Facebook, on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter as well. And so we do daily updates um, on news, on, on organizations, educational opportunities, uh, and we highlight a number of key figures that are doing some tremendous um, justice-related work. Yeah, and, and we'll have all those links on the on the show notes for this for this show. Um, but one of the other things that I know you've been doing, I've I've had the opportunity and the and the honor to be able to be a part of it as well. But you have a biblical justice series um, that you've been doing over the last uh, several months. Um, can you just share with us what that series is, kind of what you've learned over the past few months, and and how you personally would define biblical justice? Oh, certainly. Well, let me start by saying that justice itself is a, is a difficult concept. I don't think anyone has the definition. Uh, no one has a clear-cut concept of it, but we understand justice to be things that we pursue that are right, that are based on some kind of values, principles, faith, etc. But when we say biblical justice, we're really talking about um, a collection of principles and ideas that come out of the Bible that are really best exemplified by Micah 6.8. In Micah 6.8, we're told uh, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. So that idea of justice is much more involved than just saying that we have this concept of what's right. We want to not only actively seek out justice, but we have to balance it with this concept of mercy, and we have to do it in this relationship with God, recognizing it is that relationship and his concept of justice that allows us to to, to seek out justice in our world. So that's the way that we view it. Now, the series that you reference. We have a couple of different series that we do, but given that we are this online entity and we work with so many people around the country and around the globe, one of the things that we enjoy doing is connecting people that wouldn't otherwise be connected and to have these conversations. So we realized last year that this idea of, of justice and biblical justice really required more conversation. So what we did was went out and sought out a number of different leaders, including yourself, to share about their concept of justice and their definition. And so every week we would share these definitions of these leaders, different sectors, different generations. And then once a month, we'd bring them together and have a conversation. So we do a webinar-based uh, discussion. We'd video it and we would share it afterwards as well. And it was a great dialogue. It was a discourse um, between these sectors and generations about this concept of justice and really to dig into the Bible and to dig into their ethical you know, perspective on that topic. And so it became a really useful tool to get out to the community and to encourage more conversation. So that went on for one year and we did. We have all of those available on our website for anyone who'd like to watch these videos and to engage in those conversations. We took it a step further this year uh, where in January we launched a, a next series that was called Biblical Justice A to X. And that represents a, a series of justice issues issues from abortion to xenophobia. And each month we feature a particular expert on the topic and have them discuss that topic from a, a justice lens and particularly a biblical justice lens. So in January, we focused on the topic of abortion. In February, we looked at the topic of criminal justice. This March, we just completed a topic on economics. And in each of these series, we have a chance, like I said, to talk with someone who's working directly in that field, but to give them a chance to look at that from the perspective of, of faith and uh, biblical principles. 
Yeah, it's so great. And I, I, again, strongly encourage you all to, out there to to go check that out because these resources are, are fantastic. I know Ann Bradley um, is the latest uh, guest talking about economics, and she is just – she's a brilliant woman working in D.C. Um, and so – that's definitely something that I, I'm so glad you're doing that because it's it's a great compliment to this podcast as well. You're learning a lot of things. Folks out there listening to this, I know that you would definitely be interested in the work that, that Sosama is doing with, with these different interviews and the different um, little webinars that are going on. Um, Let's, let's shift gears a little bit. I, and, and who would have thought that we'd be talking about mountain climbing on the Think Orphan <laughs> podcast? But, uh, you know, I, I was reminded of a talk that I heard you give live and then I listened to again in preparation for this interview um, at Q Commons out here in Soc- Sacramento uh, a couple of years ago. And it was really on how, how doing justice is like mountain climbing. And so I, I'd like if you to just, you know, obviously not give the entire talk today, but I know that we'll, we'll, we'll link to that talk on the, on the show notes, but, but can you just share, you know, what, what the gist of what you talked about in that talk? And then really what are the difference that different mountains that we have to climb while doing justice? Well, you know, Phil, part of this idea of looking at justice from this lens of mountains is because I live in Colorado, right? And outside my window, I have this tremendous view of Long's Peak. It's in over 14,000 feet. And people every year climb that mountain. It's an arduous process. It's a difficult process. But when people climb it, they prepare ahead. They dive in, they do the best that they can do, and they persevere until they get to this top that is just a remarkable view and experience and a sense of achievement. It became a great analogy for me in terms of what we're doing with justice. In many ways, justice is the same thing. Like a mountain, justice is uh, something that's monumental and amazing, but it's also incredibly daunting. And like mountain climbing, we have to be prepared and equipped. Uh, I know in our world today, many people have a heart for justice. But the issue is, do you have a head and hands and feet for justice? Mm. Have you done the preparation to pursue justice? Because justice work is hard. So just like mountain climbing, you have to be equipped. And so why we use this analogy is because it gives us a really simple, easy and beautiful concept for us to understand that justice takes effort. Um, Sometimes those mountains are so large um, that we may not climb them in our lifetime and have to pass it along to someone else that will continue the climb. But the idea is that we want to achieve that climb. We want to get to that summit. We want to reach that sense of perspective. Yeah, and you you also said during that talk that justice is about the climb. What did you mean by that? Well, similar to what we talked about earlier about collaboration, you know, the journey is important. You know, from a biblical perspective, and, and this is just frank, uh, you know, from a biblical perspective, the world is going to get worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what we know. And ultimate victory, ultimate justice doesn't come in our hands, but in the hands of Christ. So knowing that, we have to understand that, you know, this process is probably more important than the end result. How we integrate our ideas, how we interrelate with one another, how we collaborate, how we cooperate, those are probably much more important in the pursuit of justice and the actual end run. Hmm. Yeah. Speaking of the world kind of getting worse, um, unfortunately, one of the areas I'd say it probably has over the last few decades is the status of women and children in the world. Hmm. People don't want to believe that. People don't want to think that. But uh, there's some huge injustices in this area. 
Um, and know it's an area that you're not only passionate about, but you're doing, you know, you're doing stuff in, in these areas. And so what are a couple of the biggest issues we're facing with regard to the status of women and children and, and how can we practically work together to address them? Great question. And, you know, for our listeners, I think it's important to put some context to this. It's been said that about 80% of the world's population are women and then the children and elderly that they care for. So just by that number alone, um, what we can realize is when we um, have an impact, a positive impact on women, we have a positive impact on much more than women. It's the children, it's the elderly, it's their families, it's their communities, etc. So even if you're not a women's advocate, as a human rights advocate, you have to always be concerned about the status of women. And secondarily, and equally importantly, the status of children is important because children are considered the most vulnerable in our population. And as people, we have a responsibility to protect everyone, but particularly those who are the most vulnerable. And if they're under the care of women who are also vulnerable, that kind of you know exponentially makes the situation worse. So we want to be very, very intentional and considerate of the fact that there are um, so many concerns around women that are different than concerns that we might see in some other contexts, but very valuable to, con- to, to address. Yeah. And what would you, what would you say, um, are maybe one or two of those things that, that you sure. see really that, that we're facing and, and, you know, I, I, I'm, assuming that most of the people listening to this, this podcast, that these issues really are something that they're passionate about. And so I just really would love to hear from you, someone who studies this deeply and someone who has talked, talked about it, taught about it also at deep levels on policy side of things, Mm -hmm. but just from the standpoint of, you know, what are some of the real issues that, that we may not know that are kind of under the underbelly. And you and I spent some time at the global prayer gathering with international justice mission a couple of weeks ago. And I know some of these issues were highlighted there as well, but uh, you know, not only, so if you could just share kind of what a couple of those things are. Sure. Well, there are many issues as you've, as you've noted, but I I would sum it up into sort of three key areas. First is political oppression Um, around the world. uh, Women don't have an equal status in the political process. And so whether it's their voting opportunities, whether it's their level of engagement in society, uh, whatever you want to define that as, political oppression is a very difficult thing. Um, It affects everything. Similarly, religious oppression. Um, We have a wide range of of religious perspectives in our world, as you know, and some of them um, put women into a situation that puts them um, underneath everyone else in society. And I think that that's a major concern um, as far as uh, where they fall in the family and and in the community. And I think the related issue is economic uh, oppression. So when you have the political and religious oppression, you're going to also have economic oppression. Um, Women don't always get the opportunities to be able to take care of themselves and their families because they don't have the economic means to do so. And, you know, what using the example that you mentioned when we were at the global prayer gathering, you know, here's a small story, but, you know, in, in places in Africa, there are women who already do not have status in the home and are really uh, treated as property rather than as a spouse. And then ultimately, when their spouse passes away, 
everything they have uh, that the spouse may have had um, is taken away from them because these women do not have status in society to own their property, to be able to carry a, a job, to do anything to be able to provide for their families. And, you know, that kind of situation is not uncommon in the world. You know, when we're here in the West, we tend to um, sort of look at everything from the lens of the West. And the reality is, although we're imperfect here in the West, we have a lot of, of uh, pluses for women. We have a lot of of major strides we've made. We certainly have many more to do. But when you compare and contrast that to what's happening around the world, uh, you know, the situation is pretty dire. And most women don't have that luxury of even being able to pursue the rights that they should have. Absolutely. So with that, with those massive, massive issues, and obviously we're not going to be able to cover all the issues. We're not even going to be able to cover the, the, the little, you know, the, the few that we've named um, in, in a way that will actually give it justice. Um, but, uh, you know, because books and treatises have been written on all these things. <laughs> However, you know, I, I'd love to hear from you just practically speaking, how our listeners can actually do something, you know, do something with excellence, as I talk about, too to really start, you know, take a step towards addressing these issues? Well, I think everything starts really with prayer. Uh, you know, people might think that's sort of a, a side note, but frankly, prayer is one of the most powerful things that we can do. And collective prayer has an impact that's quite distinct. So I think we need to start with this idea of prayer and make it an integrated part of our advocacy community, um, not just in terms of what's happening on the smaller scale, but on the larger scale as well. And to pray for not just immediate concerns, but long-term concerns. So prayer is absolutely pivotal. The second thing is to be informed. Um, yes, we can be moved by emotion on a lot of these topics that are so difficult, but we also have to be moved by information. And yes, we live in an age of information overload. You know, there's so much out there, but we need to go to resources that are well curated, that give you good information, information that we can trust. And uh, that's partly why Global provides global news and other types of sources of information, because we want our community to trust that we are a good resource for information. And then the third is to really help um, engage and, and support groups that are doing great work. Now, I will say not every person that's out there listening to this podcast needs to go run and join an advocacy organization. Um, that's not, in fact, in my mind, the best way to pursue justice. In my mind, it's having many people with many different skill sets, many different backgrounds from many different sectors, all moving in the same directions on the issue of justice. So let me give you a small example. If you are a, a techie, if you're someone who's really adept at technological work, you can be a tremendous resource for the justice community. And we want you to work in the technology world. The reality is uh, technologies that can um, help the whole world can also be used by criminals and others for, for bad things. And so we want those individuals in the justice community doing their thing and in the best way they know how and then integrating it with what the justice community is doing in advocacy etc um, all of our problems are not going to get solved by any one sector so that collaboration cooperation is important and i just want to add one other note which is also to think creatively mm. 
Um, creativity comes in many different forms. So sometimes people think creativity comes out of the arts community, and certainly it does. And we have uh, highlighted the arts in our work at Global because we believe they can express justice concerns in a way that no one else can. However, creativity can come in many other forms. It can come from the medical community, figuring out ways to address illnesses and issues in health, uh, public health in particular. It can come from the um, the technological community, as I mentioned. It can come from the education community. How can we better prepare our students for the future? All of these are methods and approaches to creativity. And so I think that's also extremely important to do mm. justice with excellence. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think all of those things work together as well. I mean, when you talk about prayer, so many times people say, oh, yeah, well, you know, let's just, you just pray, just pray. And I tell people, I say, well, actually, prayer is probably the hardest thing to do when you do it well. Mm-hmm. And when you actually are diving in. And, and I think, though, getting informed informs your prayer more. It allows you to work more creatively. It allows you to know what you're supposed to be doing, I think, in the space as well, and how to do it with excellence. And so I think that without doing any of those things, it won't be complete and it won't be something. And I think that you're, you hit it right on the head. The prayer is critical because that is truly, if we're doing it well and we're doing it right and we're intimate with God, that's when he will speak to us and let us know mm-hmm. what we personally were created to do in this space. And if, if we believe what we read in the Bible, Ephesians 2.10 says that he prepared things for us beforehand. So, mm-hmm. you know, these are things that that I get excited to hear you say that. I get excited to think about how listeners out there can truly take this stuff to heart and really start working um, in practical, real practical ways with their gifts and talents to be able to address these issues. Absolutely. And I, I'll just you know affirm what you've just shared and just also add, you know, those, those skills are different. And Absolutely. so for one person, it might mean writing a check for an organization. For another person, it might mean, you know, volunteering. And yet another might want to write or speak on these issues because we want as many, uh, particularly Christian voices, uh, addressing issues of justice, whether it's through the church, education, advocacy, etc. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's a great place um, to lead us into our last couple questions that we ask all of our guests. Um, and the first one is, what have you read, listened to, or watched that has most impacted your thinking on the care of orphan and vulnerable children around the world? Well, there's many, many things out there, but I, I think I shared with you one time that recently uh, Gary Hogan wrote a book on the locust effect talking about poverty. And, you know, I think poverty is one of those foundational issues um, that affect uh, orphans and vulnerable children um, in a way that I think is really distinct. Um, many of the circumstances that we are dealing with in the areas of justice are rooted in issues of poverty. And not to say that everything is economic, it's not. You know, there's moral issues, there's many other political issues. But that, that is a concern, and I think that he does a really good job in that, sort of outlining the impacts of that. And um, so I would encourage people to read that. Um, as far as, you know, individuals and others that may have had an impact on me, of course, you know, there are many examples out there. You know, you can think of someone like Mother Teresa, who's just been such a tremendous example uh, to so many because of just how she sacrificed for the issues of orphans. But I think my heroes may, um, may tend to be people that are just in the local community here where I am in Loveland, Colorado, there is actually a very high instance of orphans and people who are just in the foster care system and otherwise needing um, the support of families. And there are individual families who have really taken that mantle on Mm -hmm. and have inspired me and helped educate me on the facts and figures of what's going on in our very own community. And so I encourage people to 
to look into their own communities and to recognize that this need for care of orphans is high everywhere. But when you intersect it with the concerns that are geopolitical that we talked about earlier, it heightens that need in many regions of the world. Absolutely. And, and what a great place to leave off. And I, and I agree with you. I mean, and I think that Rick Morton, one of the early guests on this show, said that the foster, foster parents and adoptive parents really are the green berets of the, of the orphan care movement. And I, mm-hmm. I tend to agree with him. It's, it's, you know, that we all have a role. Not everyone's called to do that, but those that are teach, can teach us so much about the love of Christ, can teach us so much about the gospel, um, as we all can for each other. So thank you, Sosima, for what you're doing. Thank you for your wisdom that you shared with us today and that you're doing every day on, on the website, in these different places that you're teaching and everything else that you're doing through Global Justice. So thank, thanks for being with us, Sosima. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And God bless you and your ministry and your work as well. Well, thank you so much, Sosima, for, for your wise words. The one thing about Sosima that I think is even clear from listening to her speak is just her humility that she has in her, you know, it is so easy to believe her when she's talking about collaboration and working with others, because even the tone of her voice invites people in. I, I don't know if you felt the same way, uh, Karen, but I've, I've known Sosibo for a long time. And whether it's in person, whether it's on the phone, whether it's even just listening back to our conversation, it was just... You know, I'd, you'd almost want her to read bedtime stories to your children because it's so soothing. But uh, <laughs> I definitely do not have that voice. I've never at least been told that I have that voice. I don't think I do. But Karen, so other than the voice, you know, which I think it just goes without saying, <laughs> was phenomenal. Um, it does. What She's got more a great did voice. you learn from Sosama? I just want to kind of point out here. Yeah. Um, I was speaking, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks ago, and there was this really cool word art thing. I think it was similar to that word art thing that was at CAFO this year. And um, they did one for when I was speaking, and one of the words that I say all of the time, and I'm sure if our listeners listen, um, they hear me say intentionality so, so often. And that's what um, I loved hearing from this interview, especially related to not only collaboration, but related to just... um, owning that skills are different and that it's okay if your skill set is different. I love hearing that because so often um, growing up in the church and growing up in um, a conservative evangelical Christian setting, um, sometimes it might feel like, well, I'm just, I'm not good at this, or I'm not going to be in ministry, or I'm not a missionary, or um, I'm not going to be a staff member, I'm not going to be in leadership of a church. Um, but I love to hear her emphatically say different resources are so helpful, and that everyone's skills are different, and that as we kind of join and lock arms together um, to be advocates in, in this setting, that it's great to have people that are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that have such different skill sets. And I I love that. I love the intentionality with that. And um, I definitely want my kids to hear that and to know, um, again, as a Christian myself working um, in a predominantly secular field, um, yeah, I I get excited when I hear other Christian brothers and sisters in Christ um, just really um, agreeing with that. I know that... uh you know, Sosma lives it out. You know, the, for, we'll have the website on the on the show notes, but it's globaljusticeonline.org. And, um, 
you know, I've, I've worked with Sosima for the last few years and every project that she does, I mean, that's why I think we get along so well is we're both collaborators at heart and we both naturally do it, but she tries to bring in as many voices, as many people to these issues. I mean, there, there, there are different webinars they're doing, there are different, you know, calls that they're doing. You can get all of those on their website. And, you know, I was able to participate in, in one of them and, and even just, you know, promoting the, the, the podcast, they're doing different things that, we didn't ask them to do it. They just do it because that's what what she does and what her heart is. And that's something that I hope that more and more of us get as as just our default mode. It's not something we even have to think about. That when we see somebody doing great work, we want to share about it, whether it's under our umbrella or not. In fact, the more it's not, sometimes that is even more helpful. When I tell somebody about another organization that's doing great work, that almost holds more credibility than when I'm talking about my own. Because when you're talking about your own, you're a talking head for that organization and you're getting paid for it in people's minds, even though you're as passionate as you possibly could be. And that's why you're working for that organization. But sometimes when you're able to promote others and you're able to talk about others and the work that they're doing, people listen more sometimes, you know, not all the time, but sometimes they do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and one of the things too, I just want to you know, kind of hear what you might be thinking, Karen, about, you know, she talked about one of the issues or two of the issues that are, you know, the women and children around the world and the suffering and the, the yep. status of women and something that they're really working on. And what you, what you think about that little part that she talked about? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely took some notes on that part and re-listened to it a couple of times. Even me saying that though, I don't remember the exact statistics she said, but it was 80% of women and children um, are impacted by these issues. And I think we see that for those of us that are, are working in these areas, we know that um, children are vulnerable and children are orphaned and, and women are widowed and women are faced with um, unbelievable choices to make related to their children and related to their families. And um, I just really liked even their their vision and, and mission fill of um, educating people of, hey, like, let's let's think through this. Let's think through issues of injustice from a biblical standpoint. And that may seem like, duh, of course, we're going to think through it through a biblical standpoint. But actually, no, like so often in our culture, especially with the teenagers that I get to work with here um, in my practice, um, you know, they're being raised in a culture where justice is absolutely not viewed from a biblical perspective, that they're in a, a cultural um What's the word? They're just mm-hmm. being infiltrated by a culture that is not biblical. And so their views of what is right and what is true and what is just are being impacted by that. And so even with um, global justice and their opportunities for learning and leadership um, for students, I think that's a really great opportunity as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, which, you know, I do sometimes. Yep. Um, but I know you can handle it. That's why I do it. But, you know, recently <laughs> on Facebook, um, I, don't, I know you're not on Facebook, but I think it's probably made its way to... Uh, Twitter and Instagram and everything else too, but the Me Too campaign. Yep. And, you know, one of the things that, that keeps coming back to me, as with any campaign, right, it can have a tremendous good, but it can also have potential unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, I'm not going to even speak to any of that. But one of the things I want to talk about is in the context of this conversation, sometimes it actually leads to a potentially a victim mentality, but how can it actually be used to empower and go past what could potentially be that unintended consequence to actually ensure more and more that we can have it be empowering to people to see that they are created, you know, in God's image, they're image bearers, they have unique gifts and talents. And so how can Mm -hmm. we use these campaigns like Me Too, like, you know, some of these other things that are are empowering women to ensure, and you obviously can't ensure it, but to do our best to ensure that it will be used for what we intend it to be used for, if that makes sense. 
Kind of. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tiptoe into that because I'm not exactly sure the exact question, but we'll we'll go for it. So, um, you know, I think the Me Too campaign. I I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. I think it's wonderful. I think that. Um, you know, it, it provided an opportunity. It's providing an opportunity for women who have been um, impacted to be heard. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I read this week, um, I wish I could think of it. it it's something of, um, I can't remember exactly, but basically saying like, I can't imagine a woman who couldn't have a Me Too post, mm. meaning that um, women around the world have been impacted by inappropriate comments, inappropriate right. gestures, much less uh, being victimized in a much more um, hellacious way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when, especially, I don't know, I don't want to talk too much about um, certain things, but I would say in certain environments, oftentimes women aren't believed. And I think that when women, can be heard and when they have a platform to to be heard it can be very very powerful Um, in that though you know we don't want it to be something that um, women are feeling pressured to share or women are feeling Mm -hmm. pressured to share their trauma stories our children or men uh, because men are also in the me too category Mm -hmm. and so um, i think if nothing else it's breaking down the stigma that um, so often in cultures, not just here in America, but cultures around the world where women and children and men are taught to just not talk about it. We're not gonna talk about it. It happens to everyone, that's what we do. So just move on and get over it. Um, And from a clinical standpoint, for sure, that's absolutely the wrong impression. We need to help children, help teenagers, help adults to, to speak out against it first and foremost. Um, but also to be able to talk about it so that they can get the help that they need. Right. And I'm going to take that one little step further, and I'm going to say that the church absolutely needs to take that stand and speak out against any allegation yeah. of um, harm to a child or a teenager or an adult. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously so much more to that, and I don't, I'm not going to pretend like we're going to cover it all in a couple-minute little conversation there. But, you know, it's something that I speak so much to people about identity and the need, you know, for us to truly understand our identity in Christ, our identity as women and men of God. And I think that that, that step to, to say, you know, like I said, me too, to go further from there to say, you know, all of us, like you said, all of us have me too stories in some way, um, you know, in the sense of not just in this context, obviously, but, but we are all, you know, we're, we're all broken right? We're all broken human beings and to start and to realize that and understand that and accept that we are worse than we could ever imagine yet we're more love we could ever dream, right? And so what does that look like? What does that look like on a day-to-day basis and how can we truly believe that second part in ways that, that empower us to go out and do things that we're talking about on this show, right? To go out and love people um, right. boldly and bravely and to love, but I think it starts with, you know, understanding that you are created to do that. You are created to give, you are created to serve, you are created to love and be loved. And so mm-hmm. what does that look like? So, um, yeah, I mean, we could talk more and more about that, but you know, we're going to, we're going to right now go to a story that I think is super encouraging to me. Um, this is something I alluded to at the beginning of the, uh, show. This is something that, you know, I think that you guys out there are going to be, if you're not encouraged by it, you know, I'll I'll question whether you're listening. Um, (laughs) And, you know, maybe that's our fault that you're not listening better. I don't know. But Karen Springs is a woman who has, you know, done some great work in Ukraine. And with that, she had a dream 
that involved driving around the United States. So I'm going to just tease it with that and now go to this quick little interview I did that will be a precursor to another interview I'm going to do in a couple months with her um, when she's done with this little journey. So here it goes. Well, we are here with uh, Karen Springs, and I am so excited just to give you all out there a little glimpse into something that Karen had a vision for a little bit ago, and she's actually in the middle of executing that vision right now. So, Karen, um, I'm I'm excited for you to share because we're going to do a little bit today. You just to kind of tease our audience about what you're doing right now. And then in a couple months at the end of this project, we're going to actually be able to sit down with you and talk for a bit longer about, you know, what God taught you through this and, and really what you learned uh, through this through this thing. So can you just share a little bit about, you know, who you are and then, you know, what what you're doing right now? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me with you today. And um yeah, well, I, I moved. I first moved to Ukraine uh, about 13 years ago in uh, October of 2004, and um, it was within a few weeks of being there that I visited an orphanage and um, that had probably 200 kids and a lot of older kids at the time, and spent an evening with a group of 12 and 13 year old girls. And um, it was then that I started learning some of the statistics around what happens to kids when they age out of institutions and. Um, God just kind of used that moment as a pivotal moment for me to want to advocate for kids to be in families and specifically for older kids and specifically kids in Ukraine. So I kind of pinpoint that as the beginning of my journey of being an adoption uh, advocate. And um, so I stayed in Ukraine and um, through the ministry uh, that I was working with, with CBN and Orphans Promise, started advocating for both um, adoption of kids there locally and kids um, abroad and, you know, saw everybody should adopt and walked alongside families that walked through that process. And um, about six years ago, even opened up my home in Kiev to host adoptive families that were uh, adopting, adopting Ukrainian kids. And so, I started a hospitality house and, um, but, uh, as families, you know, went home, I started, you know, of course I knew that there were challenges, but sometimes those challenges were greater than others. And, uh, so this project of wanting to reconnect with families kind of burst out of, of that, of where are families now? What makes a successful adoption? Uh, how do we define success? And, um, yeah, what, what are the types of families that should pursue adoption and, um, and how is, what's the story that God is speaking in the midst of all that? So I kind of went into this project with a lot of questions and, um, decided, you know, going across America and visiting with these families would be the way to find answers to, to those questions. Yeah. So let's take a little step back there. So you, you basically alluded to what you're doing right now, and this is like a, a road trip, uh, with, with a, with a twist, right. You know, I think right. <laughs> it's a, it's a road trip that has some exact destinations in the midst that are very purposeful and you kind of alluded to them, but can you just give your, your, what this road trip is and the vision for it? Yeah. So, um, as I said, I, I had this hospitality house and I started, um, I had a map, um, of America on my wall in my apartment and I started marking where these families were. And, you know, I started realizing, wow, they are spread out across America and, um, I joked with people that someday I would pay them a visit and write a book about their story. And um, that joke became <laughs> a, a vision and a dream. And um, But, you know, like any dream or vision, if you don't put pen to the paper, it, it doesn't happen. And mm-hmm. after, 
you know, six years have gone by, I thought, you know, I think enough time and perspective have passed that I might be able to get some real stories that are beyond the honeymoon phase or beyond the first year home. And so as I looked at my map, um, I realized probably the most logical way of seeing all these families would be to drive um, because there were so many people to reconnect with. And so I, um, my family is from Seattle, Washington. So that was where the car was that I could use. (laughs) So um, it made, it kind of worked out that my family was in one corner of the United States of America. So kind of used this last year to to plot out my journey. And I started um, on September 10th, uh, left from Seattle, Washington and headed headed eastward. So, um, with about, I think I have about 40, so 40 stops, Mm. um, throughout this three and a half month journey, um, and about 50, 50 to 60 families that I'll be connecting with on those, on those stops. Yeah. And and I've been able to follow and and you can out there too, a little bit on, uh, Instagram and Facebook and what, what, what different social media outlets are you using right now? Yeah, I've been trying to keep up with them. Facebook has been my primary one. I have um, a YouTube channel that I've been posting my my videos to as well. Um, I've been trying to do weekly or biweekly updates just on little stories that are happening along the way um, with the families that I'm interacting with or just my own impressions. And um, yeah, so trying to, and that's another th- unique thing about this journey is, you know, some of these stories are really hard. And so um, just keeping families' identities, um, right. you know, not talking about people's names, but just kind of sharing generalities of what I'm learning right now, um, because people have been pretty gracious in opening up, you know, the the highs and the lows of, of their journey of adoption. Right. Do you have one little snippet that you could share with our audience to give them a, a taste of what we'll be talking about in a couple months at the end um, of, of your journey? Yeah, well, I think... I don't know if this is too general or not, but um, one thing that has just stood out to me so far as I've been on this journey so far, I've conducted about 15 interviews and most of those have been families that adopted older children from Ukraine. So kids say between the ages of 10 and 15 and some of those multiple adoptions. And, you know, I've had, you know, several families specifically, you know, with teenage boys just talk about how hard the transition was and, um, how maybe they, they had romanticized things a little bit about, you know, they're coming to rescue a kid, but they bring the kid home and, you know, there's not the gratitude um, that they maybe had hoped for and there's more challenges. But I think more than anything, what that has come through this journey is seeing the spiritual maturity of the families that I've interviewed so far and that people are seeing that just because something is hard, and there is suffering involved that it doesn't mean that God is not in it. And even when you can't see through the storm that you might be in, it's recognizing that God is sanctifying us through that. And um, sometimes, you know, when we think God calls us to something, we think that, well, then that means it's going to be easy. Or (laughs) that means, you know, I'm going to see the light at the end of the tunnel quickly. But you know, some families are very much still in the tunnel and Mm -hmm. the light is, very dim, um, but yet they are choosing to see um, to see a higher a higher way above it. And so that, if anything, even amongst some stories of you know of, of really hard behavior um, at home, like they are still choosing to see that. And so that's been my 
encouragement so far on this journey. And, um, and I hope, you know, that that will be the, the, the through line that I continue to hear. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'd say I've, that's, that's been one thing I've taken away so far. Yeah. And that, that's, that's, uh, so encouraging. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's funny that you, what you said is so true. I mean, I think most people are listening in and most of our audience is doing, are doing this work in some way, you know, in, what you said about sometimes you get into it and you think, Oh, it's going to be just great. And we're going to go and we're going to do God's will and we're going to work. And with that, if you're doing good work, there will be suffering. If you're doing good work, there will be challenge and warfare and battles. And, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, as I have said to so many people, you know, it seems like if the answer may be just do worse work and then you won't have as much battle, <laughs> but that's not a right. good answer. Right. Yeah. You know? But uh, the yeah. reality is if you're doing something that's going to be inviting the battle, then you better be ready for it. And so, and that's where I think, you know, I love what you're doing. I, I can't wait for a couple months from now. We're going to get some more stories. We're going to be able to share that with, with our audience. We're going to be able to share that with people. And then if, when you, when you get that book out there, I know that that will be one that is going to be such a great resource. It's going to be such a great um, encouragement to many, I'm sure. And it'll also be hard to read sometimes, you know, like you were saying, there's going to be stories that aren't the the feel good everything's just honky dory perfect it's going to be no there's some real struggle and so to bring that reality to bring that um you know just just that check of of man this is this stuff is really tough and how can we help each other how can we encourage each other so thank you karen for for what you're doing uh we're continually praying for you on this journey over the next couple months and, uh, and I invite everyone out there to, to check it out. We'll have the links on, on the show notes to be able to see how you can follow Karen's uh, road trip as she's doing it. And then we'll be able to talk Thank with you. you in a couple months. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, I look forward to That means I'll be nearing the end, but I might see you in two months. So it's about two months from today, but I should be wrapping up the first part of this journey. So thank you. Well, now you all out there know why I was uh, excited and uh, that we actually did have something to tease there with uh, with Karen and the and the road trip that she's doing right now. I'm I'm very excited to hear more from her in December um, when I'm able to sit down and talk with her at the end of her journey. But I'm also excited for that book to come out and whenever that will, because I think it will really be a great source of encouragement for many. Um, speaking of sources of encouragement and sources and resources for us, we now have the Dr. Karen and Phil recommend a segment, which I always love. And especially when Karen has a recommendation for us. So today she's got something for us. And, uh, what is it? Well, in light of our episode today that is filled with Karens, we've had multiple Karens on the show today. I've got one more Karen for you. So this book I'm going to tell you guys about today, it dropped literally just a couple of weeks ago, and it has skyrocketed, catapulted to one of my favorite books that I'm in possession of in my clinical practice, in my job, in my career, so on and so forth. So here we go. Get your pen and paper. It's also going to be linked on our website, I'm sure. So it's called, it has a really long name. So here we go. It's called A Therapeutic Treasure Box for Working with Children and Adolescents with Developmental Trauma. And so it's by Dr. Karen Treesman. And this is so incredibly wonderful 
It's a great resource. It's a huge resource. It's called a workbook for a reason. I think it has almost 450-ish pages of content. I know that some of you guys might be listening and you're thinking, but I'm not a clinician. I'm not a mental health professional. That's okay. Like, um, If you are working with orphaned and vulnerable children in any capacity, parenting them, I strongly recommend this book. Even if you're not a clinician and you're not practicing, it just provides an incredible amount of real-world information, an incredible amount of clinical information in a very readable way, in a very... Um, it's just very doable. Even though it's a huge book, it's a super great resource. And so I can't recommend this highly enough. It's phenomenal. It really captures the reality of developmental trauma and it provides excellent real world resources that um, I am absolutely confident can be applied across the globe. So that's our resource for today. I strongly recommend it. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Thanks for the download. Uh, we appreciate you guys. Again, remember, uh, leave us feedback. Feel free to uh, leave a comment, send an email. We'd love to hear from you guys. And um, yeah, as we continue to partner together to uh, talk through and try to figure out how to best love orphaned and vulnerable children. Thanks, guys. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.